0: Good morning everyone Good morning. All right, this morning's reading comes from Luke 1 verses 5 to 25 in the time of Herod king of Judea there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all of God's commands and decrees blamelessly but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old once when zacharias division was on duty and he was serving as priest before god he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the lord and burn incense and when the time for the burning of incense came all the assembled worshippers were praying outside then an angel of the lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents of their children, to their children and their obedient and their sorry, and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can i be sure of this i'm an old man and my wife is well along in years the angel said to him i am gabriel i stand in the presence of god and i have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news and now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time meanwhile the people were waiting for zachariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple When he came out he could not speak to them they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak when his time of service was completed he returned home after this his wife elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion the lord has done this for me she said in these days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people
1: just pray first. Lord God thank you for the word uh, that has just been read to us and for the message that you have helped me to prepare today and Lord I just ask that the words that I speak would bring glory to you and would be a blessing to those who hear them. Amen. All right. Who's ever seen a nativity play? We're in a church come on most of us. Yeah I thought so. All right. We all love a good nativity play. Who's ever been in one? As a kid, maybe? Yeah, few of us. Okay, has anyone ever seen one of those nativity plays where whoever was in charge had like this many kids and this many roles? Yeah? What are some of the extra roles that we come up? We've got, you know, we've got Mary and Joseph. Jesus is generally a a doll. Um, Then we've got Mary, Joseph some shepherds yeah wise men maybe an angel where do we go after that animals yes <laughs> there's someone who's seen too many nativity plays over there <laughs> we just end up with a whole bunch of animals you know if, if the nativity scene is up here then you know we've got Jesus Mary and Joseph kind of here and then it's just sheep as far as the eye can see sheep everywhere maybe a cow maybe a camel have uh, anyone seen the movie Love Actually, they have what I think is the best nativity scene of all time in that movie. They've got all the traditional characters. They've got Jesus, who again, played by a doll, uh, and then the kids in, in this school class, they play Mary and Joseph. There's two shepherds and their sheep, three angels, two wise men, a wise Spider-Man, three lobsters, three penguins, a whale, and an octopus. <laughs> I reckon that's pretty good. <laughs> But I, it does raise some questions for me, and I think that even though this is just kind of a funny thing that we do, every kid has to have a role, everybody wants to be the first lobster or the first sheep, um, it actually highlights a really interesting cultural piece that would have been present at the time of this story that we don't have today and therefore we don't normally pick up on. And I just think it's really funny that we, we, we get these kind of traditional characters and you know we, we often kind of tack on quite a few angels and, and shepherds, don't we, as well? Uh, there's often way, way more wise men than are maybe needed. Um, but once we've kind of exhausted those options, we don't go looking for other human roles that these, these kids could play. We just make them all animals. So for the next three weeks, we're gonna be looking at the women of Christmas. And that is a loaded topic. Actually, no, I'm going to ask you, who are the women in the Christmas story? Mary, yes. That was, that was an easy one. Elizabeth, yeah, that's who we're talking about today. So good job listening to the Bible reading. Anyone else? There are three women named, yes. Well done, Helen. Anna. A few of you got it, actually. Well done, Anna. So there are three women named in the Christmas story, and we're going to look at one of those women each week for the, today and the following two Sundays. There were actually a whole bunch of other women who were just there. Uh, there were, we actually have historians and scholars are, are pretty certain that at least some of the wise men were actually wise women. Uh, the, the magi came from a very gender-inclusive society, and they, they would have been a, a mixed-gender group. We also know that when we talk about the inn that these people stayed at, um, most likely what that was was kind of the front room of, of someone's house, which is where they kept their animals, and you know when a woman gave birth, under Jewish law men weren't permitted to be present, so Joseph would not have been in the room. He would have gone outside and and the women of the household would have come and and accompanied Mary as she gave birth. They would have supported her, they would have fetched some cloths for her. And so actually what we know is there were a whole lot of women at Christmas who we don't hear about. Uh, But unfortunately those women don't get enough time in the Bible for me to write a whole sermon about them. So we're just gonna go with the three. And my hope is to introduce you to these women and to invite you to consider them in a way that you may not have before. And I hope that by the end of this series, you'll have a new appreciation for the ways that women were involved in the Christmas story and why that's so significant, because it's actually significant for all of us. And also, maybe you'll have some great ideas for other people who you could cast in your next nativity play, we'll see. But before we go too far down that path, I'm gonna get to a bit later on why I've chosen this title for the sermon series cows camels and the least of these I was going for provocative uh, but I'll get to that it has a good reason behind it and I'll get to that but I just want to start with who is Elizabeth and, and why are we talking about her today so I was gonna say you've probably heard the story before but you actually all have because it was just read out then or at least the first half of it Zechariah and Elizabeth what do we know about them we know that they're really good people we know that they are well respected in their society they're well liked uh, they lived a life of great privilege and we know that because verses five six and seven tell us that they tell us that Mary uh, sorry Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron the brother of Moses now I know in Australia we don't really care who your parents are you know uh, in this society that was a big deal who your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and so on were, that's everything. That is status, that is the way that people treat you, sometimes that's whether or not people like you, uh, and, and those things last for generations, as you can see, we're many generations beyond the time of Moses now, and yet still in this time period, first century Israel, we know that being descended from one of the, the biblical greats, I guess we could call them, was a big deal. And that alone made you worthy of people's respect and worthy of people's uh, i guess good opinion but we also know that zechariah was a priest in the division of abijah being a priest who was allowed to be priests descendants of aaron levites yeah so guess what two of them in one family big honor huge honor and of course zechariah is a working priest and he's pretty old we 'll get to that in a minute he 's been working as a priest for a long time. Priests, because of their title priest, were again afforded really uh, good treatment in society i don 't i 've been trying to think of an equi- equivalent for australia it 's really hard maybe if the prime minister walked in, you know people would would kind of defer to him and oh, yes, welcome, Mr. Prime Minister, you have the best seat, all of those things. Priests would have been treated like that, and probably better, because again, we're a very flat hierarchy in Australia, aren't we? We, we don't care who you are, we don't care who your parents are. Uh, but these people would have been treated very well in their society, and in addition to all of that, we're told that they were righteous and blameless, right? So not just because of who their family is, or because of their position in society, because of what Zechariah's job is, but because of who they are, they are loved, they are respected, they're very privileged. There's just one thing though they didn't have kids. And again, in Australia, we go, hey, some people don't have kids. That's no big deal. I don't have kids. Okay, moving on. Not a big deal. But. In Bible times, it was a little bit different. First of all, because a woman's role in society, the main part of a woman's role in society, and again, we'll get into this a bit more later, was to conceive, birth, and raise children. Women were essential, sorry, children were essential to the success of, of a woman in first century Israel and to not have children was a sign of failure in those days it wasn't a choice will I have kids or will I not you would have kids and if you didn't as a woman that's because there's something wrong with you and so there would have been a really deep sense of grief and failure that Elizabeth would have carried with her for many many years but in addition to that There's a verse in Deuteronomy 7 in in the law that tells us that if you obey God's commands, he will multiply you. And in this time period, that was interpreted by many to mean that if you can't have children, it's because of sin in your life. It's because you are not being faithful to God. And so there would have been gossip and ridicule, And maybe some nasty people asking some really intrusive questions about, well, what's your sin? Have you dealt with your sin? That would have made for a very uncomfortable life, particularly in Elizabeth's younger years when it was still possible for her to have a child. But at this point, they're old and that possibility is over. Uh, Scholars think that Elizabeth was in her mid to late 80s. It's a guess, it's an educated guess, but it's a guess. Uh, Men married later than women in those days. So if Elizabeth was in her mid to late 80s, Zechariah was most likely well over 90, okay? There is no chance that they're gonna have kids. It is off the table. And then one day, Zechariah goes off to his shift at the temple. They used to work at the temple for a week at a time. So he goes off, he says, bye Elizabeth, I'll see you next week when I get back and he's chosen for this huge honor this is something that priests only ever get to do once in their lifetime once you've done it once your name is taken out of the ballot and he is very old so he's been serving for a long time and has never been chosen for this great honor of burning the incense and facilitating the sacrifice but he's chosen today and he goes in and he has this incredible experience with an angel and he comes out and he can't talk And I can just imagine Elizabeth sitting at home, waiting for him to get home, waiting for news of what's going on at the temple these days. And he comes home and he starts doing these ones. And she's going, what? What is going on? And I I can imagine that the only way for him to accurately convey what has happened to him in the temple is to write it down. But you know what? Most women in the first century weren't taught to read. So then he's got to go and find a neighbor or someone who can read, who can come and read what he's written to his wife so that she knows what he's telling her about what someone else, the angel, has told him. I can imagine it must have been a bit chaotic. And then Elizabeth becomes pregnant and she decides to self-isolate for five months now we're not told why she does this but I kind of I think we can figure it out pregnancy is a pretty dangerous thing chances of miscarriage were high Uh, for context chances of miscarriage today in 2023 one in four pregnancies ends in a loss okay and we have medical interventions we have drugs and and extra scans and procedures and doctors (laughs) imagine what it must have been like back then and at her age the anxiety the terror that she must have felt would have been enormous and of course there's also the fact that she had been gossiped about for her whole life because she couldn't have kids and if you think that an 80-plus-year-old pregnant woman is not going to be the topic of gossip in the town, you're dreaming. <laughs> Far easier to just stay home and, and, and figure out what's going on first. But what I want to look at is how Elizabeth responds to this news. Verse 25, when she finally understands what's going to happen to her what is happening to her her response is this the lord has done this for me in these days he has shown his favor and taken my disgrace among taken away my disgrace among the people wow look at that faith that's incredible I want to contrast this with Zechariah's response way back in verse 18 when he first found out what was going to happen and his response was how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now those are valid questions. Right? I think if an angel said to anyone in this room at 80 years old or 80 plus you're going to have a baby I think we might all have a few questions about that mightn't we but the way that this story has been written the way that Luke has written this down he's contrasting their responses all right let's remember Zechariah is a priest he and those others like him are responsible for facilitating the faith practices of the people of Israel They intervene with God on behalf of the people. They facilitate prayers and sacrifices. They care for the temple. If anyone should have faith in this story, it should be him. And yet, in this crucial moment, he doubts. Right? And it's not just Zechariah, throughout Israelite history. I bet if I asked you to name some of the, the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament, what have you got? Moses, Abraham, Oh, these all sound like men. <laughs> men are held up in, in Jewish culture as examples of the faith. And, and let's, I'm, let's not be mistaken, Moses and Abraham are examples of the faith, and we should look up to them as examples of the faith. But there's a reversal happening here and it's a sign that things are shifting something is changing and there's a second sign that comes a few months later and if you skim through your bible you'll see that what happens next is that while elizabeth is isolating an angel visits mary and tells her that she's also going to have a baby and that's pretty weird too because she's young she's unmarried she has never been with a man in that way and again sensing there might be a little bit of anxiety a little bit of fear in that but we'll talk about Mary next week. And so what else would you do when you were in that situation you go see a pregnant family member to get some support right and so Mary off goes off and and visits Elizabeth and ends her isolation by going and visiting and what happens next is incredible and would have been an enormous shock to anyone in the first century hearing about this or reading about it after Luke had written it down. As Mary arrives, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she begins to prophesy about Mary's baby. And again, this is a key indicator that there's a shift happening, there's a change. We do see women prophesying in the Old Testament. Not many, but they are there. But you know what we don't see? Women receiving the Holy Spirit. So we know that from Pentecost onwards, every believer receives the Holy Spirit. But up until this point, the only people who had received the Holy Spirit were men. And in this family, we have this guy, he's a priest, he's righteous and blameless, he's qualified, he's present, he's there. And it's not him. Logically, according to the logic of, of the culture of the time, The person who should have received the Holy Spirit, who should have been prophesying about the birth of the Messiah. If we're picking between these two, it should have been Zechariah. And I think it's significant that God chooses a woman in this moment to be the bearer of this prophecy and the receiver of his Spirit. And I think it's really significant that women feature so heavily in the life of Jesus and in his miracles and his teachings think about all of the key moments in jesus ministry i mean his birth is kind of obvious but what about his first miracle who facilitates that mary right what about his interactions his key interactions with non-israelites the woman at the well what about the death who was present at the cross at his death the women were who discovered that the tomb was empty the women did And who was tasked with preaching the first ever gospel message of the resurrection? Go and tell the disciples that he is risen. The women were. Women are key agents in all of these stories, and they're often actually the ones who are given really important tasks. And here's why that's so important. As I said, Jesus lived in Israel in the first century, and thanks to historians and archaeologists, we actually know quite a lot about their culture. We understand quite a lot about how they saw the world and what they viewed as a woman's place in the world. A woman's place was the home. Girls were brought up to be good housekeepers, good wives, and above all, good mothers. Right? As I've said, you're not a success if you haven't had kids. While some women were given access to education and were able to help their husbands to to manage the family business, it wasn't common across the board, and it was far less common in uh, poorer and more remote communities. And there were, in in the public sphere, there were very many public places where women were not allowed to enter, it was men only, Uh, or some places where they had separate areas, so the temple would have had some areas for women to worship or for mixed worship, and then a separate area where only men were allowed to go. In fact, culturally at the time, it was kind of just preferred that women would stay at home. And that's why we see throughout the New Testament, we see women gathering in places where women's work is done. We see them gathering at the well in the morning while they're all there to, uh, to, to work, to get water for their families. And we see them chatting as they walk out to the well and as they get the water and they walk back home. That's their social life. A woman's social life was with other women and it was around women's work. And so when we see Jesus elevating women, which is something that he does over and over and over again in throughout his lifetime, what we're seeing is a key element of the kingdom of God. I don't know if any of you have heard the phrase the upside down kingdom of God. I love that phrase. It is just such an apt description of what it is that Jesus does. It's Something we see in the Beatitudes when, when Jesus starts to elevate all of these things that we really don't wanna see. You're blessed if you're poor, Mm, thanks I'd rather be rich. You're blessed if you're persecuted, no thank you, I'd rather be popular, right? Jesus takes all of these things that we value and he flips them upside down. If there's a pyramid, he turns it on his head. And we see this not just in the Beatitudes or in the sermons that he preaches, but throughout his life. Jesus values those whose society does not. Jesus turns our world upside down, he turns our hierarchies upside down jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first because the kingdom of heaven is not like our earthly kingdoms and so when we see jesus elevating women far beyond what their society believes them capable of what we're not saying is that jesus loves women more than he loves men or the kingdom of god needs women more than it needs men no no don't make that mistake it's because women at this time and in this place were some of the least valued people in society a woman in terms of monetary value which was a thing that they actually had was worth less money than a cow or a camel and in terms of your priority list if you're a man cows and camels more important i can get another wife but these cows and these camels are my livelihood but not to jesus and women weren't the only people he elevated either he valued the poor he valued the foreigner the disabled the mentally unwell all of these people were rejected by their society no one wanted to know them no one wanted to spend time with them no one wanted to help them but jesus did And so the good news is not just that Jesus loves women, although that is good news. It's that he loves everyone, and most especially those who are not loved by anyone else. So when we look at Elizabeth here and we see the way that the author has chosen to portray her, to elevate her and to hold her up as an example of of what real faith can look like, contrasted with her husband, when we see the choice of God to fill her with the Holy Spirit over and above her husband who was qualified and was right there, what we're seeing is actually the first indication of what the kingdom of God is going to look like before he has even been born. In fact, before his birth was even announced, jesus has started to usher in this new kingdom to usher in this shift this change to usher in a kingdom where the first will be last where the last will be first where the weak and foolish things are chosen by god to play key roles a kingdom where all are welcome and where earthly power structures are reversed and that is good news for all of us And so I hope as we look at Mary next week and then Anna the week after that you will see that just because I'm speaking about women doesn't mean it's only for women or about women. This is about the kingdom of God here on earth and this is for all of us. Let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you so much for... Jesus and for everything that he means to us I want to thank you that before Jesus was even born Lord when you were announcing the birth of the person who would announce the coming of Jesus that even then you were changing things you were shifting things you were showing us what your kingdom will look like and Lord I want to thank you for your kingdom and I just ask that as we go out of this place as we as we go out of church and into our weeks lord that you would guide us and that you would help us to see instances of your kingdom here on earth lord that you would give us the confidence that we are loved regardless of what other people think and help us to love those who we would rather not lord yeah lord i just want to lift all of this up to you and thank you for bringing us here today in your name amen